Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have an incredibly insightful and educational conversation with return guest, Dr. Dan Plews. In today's episode, Dan discusses the importance of managing heart rate variability and blood glucose levels to support overall health and performance, and what we can do specifically to optimize both of them. He discusses the ideal exercise program for someone training for health and longevity, and someone who is training for a specific performance. We end the episode discussing heat therapy and cold plungers and conclude with some fun rapid fire questions. Now, some housekeeping before we go on. Firstly, thank you for supporting and sharing the show. If you are enjoying the show, you'd be doing me a huge favor if you could share on your social platforms or you can support by supporting the show's partners, Athletic Greens, Hyperice, and Form Swim Goggles. They're all just brilliant companies and fantastic products. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Do you want to move better? Do you want to reach your full potential? If yes, then you should really consider Hyperice recovery tools. Personally, I use the Hypervolt and the Vibrating Roller daily. So simple, quick, and easy to look after my body at home. Hyperice is currently running a few sales on both the Normatec line and the Hypervolt with Bluetooth. It's a great time for anyone to take advantage of the discount. Plus, get 10% off all Hyperice products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show code GREG21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com, that's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com and use code GREG21 at checkout. Are you someone who enjoys swimming in the open water? Personally, I love it far more than the pool. The thing, though, that I miss in the open water swimming is the ability to get any feedback. But now with the Form Smart Swim Goggles, I have that covered. Whether I'm in the pool or open water, I can get my feedback. With Form Swim Goggles, you can see all your key metrics while you're swimming. Your distance, pace, stroke rate, and heart rate. This swim data is displayed on the goggle lens, and you can customize the display to see the metrics you want to see. The goggles track it all and are automated. You start them at the beginning of your swim, and you don't have to press any buttons in between. They automatically track everything. The goggles connect to the Form Swim app on your smartphone, and there you can review all the details of your swims. The battery life is incredible, with a one-hour charge giving you 16 hours of swimming time. So go to formswim.com forward slash Greg, that's formswim.com forward slash Greg, and get $15 off. Or you can use code Greg15 at checkout. I'm using Athletic Greens every day. Great taste, so quick and just ready to go. I've discussed Athletic Greens with several of the guests who are using it daily as well. Miranda Carfrey, Timothy O'Donnell, Tim Don, and Sebastian Kinley. You see, Athletic Greens is more than just a multivitamin and mineral. It's a delicious blend of 75 superfoods, vitamins, minerals, probiotics, greens blend, and more to support your gut health, energy, immunity, and stress. My focus is overall health longevity, feeling good, and feeling like I'm optimizing each day. And Athletic Greens is there for me to do just that. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens vitamin D, a huge portion of the population of vitamin D deficient, including myself. And right now, Athletic Greens will give you a year's supply of vitamin D for free and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Please do yourself a favor and sign up. It also makes a great gift for a family member or friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. 
Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. All right, today I have a wonderful return guest. I was so blown away by this man, I had to bring him on the show again. We had such a brilliant conversation when he was on six months ago in episode 50. If you haven't listened to this episode, I highly recommend you add it to your playlist right away. He's a doctor of exercise physiology, a coach, founder of Endure IQ, father of two, and add to that, he's the current overall age group Ironman World Championship course record holder. He's one of the world's greatest minds in endurance sports. He has the practical and personal experience, and he has the science. So welcome, and thank you once again for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Dr. Dan Plews. How are you, mate? I'm really good, Greg. Thanks for, thanks for having me back. Your, your introductions are always um, very, very flattering. I think actually, uh, I, just, I just play back the, the introductions sometimes. If I'm, having a, if I'm having a low day, I just go back to what the playback and listen to the intro. Uh, you're welcome, mate. I do enjoy the introductions, but um, it's really it is great to have you back on. And a lot has happened in these last six months. So we, I do want to touch on all of that. Um, you know, in, in the show today, I really do want to sort of talk about heart rate variability and the low carb, high fat. Well, what do I say? Low carb, high healthy fat fueling. Um, and, and just talk about training intensities for both people, you know, that are training for health and athletes training for performance goals. But before we go on, like I just touched on, this last six months since we last spoke, I've got to give you a huge congrats, mate. Emirates, New Zealand, America's Cup win. How was that yeah. feeling, being a part of that yeah. team? That huge. Well, one is like when you say six months, that's kind of, I'm like, has it really been six months since we last spoke? That seems that's gone by very, very fast. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, so in that time, America's Cup, so we took the took the win where I was the head of physical performance. And, and to be honest, it was, um, I mean, when I took the job, I think I took it with it knowing that it would be one of those things that's kind of a life-changing event or at least a life-changing memory. And it, it certainly lived up to those expectations. And um, there's like 500,000 people down at the viaduct where the boat came in and like New Zealand just went crazy. And, um, mm. and unlike, you know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of Olympic sports and a lot of elite sports. And the thing about... Um, yeah, the thing that's the thing about the America's Cup and Emirates Team New Zealand is it's really quite inclusive. So you really feel like you are actually part of part of a real big team, and you kind of win it yourself. Whereas you know when it's a uh, you know individual sports, it's like the athlete uh, quite rightly is the main focus. But it was really did feel like a team a team mm. thing, and, and and that was that was just amazing. So I, I was just incredibly envious that you got to go on one of those uh, those yachts, just the way they. Because you, you, I think in the last episode you said, yeah, you're one of the few that actually got to be. Yeah, I, I went on the. So I didn't, I didn't get on the one that actually raced, but I got on the model before that, which is obviously really, really similar. There's like a, just a few changes in the the whole the whole shape and and not too much in that. But um, but yeah, it was. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I really enjoyed the whole experience and um, and. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just another. It's always good to have another sport on your um, resume as well, I guess. So, of um, course, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and what about your your triathletes? Uh, I did see Jan Van Berkel, who's a good friend of mine, that you've been coaching now for is it five or six years. And he, yeah, I've been, um, coaching, I've been coaching Jan for um, when did I start coaching? In, since two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. He's improved though. It's amazing. He's a He's one you've got to give yourself a really good pat on the back for. Great guy. I've known him for probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And he used to be a young ITU athlete when I was trying to do, you know, my last few ITU races and he was on the scene a little bit. But he was a good athlete, but he wasn't standout. 
And then you see him at this recent Ironman Tulsa um, in the US here to come second to the two-time world champion, Patrick Langer, with a seven-hour 50 performance. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jan, Jan's quite the story, really, because um, I even remember when, um, you know, when I started coaching Jan, you know, people were like, oh, that's good, you know. But I remember someone actually classified him as a B-grade pro, you know, and I'm like, well, that's, that's a little bit unfair. <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, p- people will be eating their words now because he's by – you know, I think he's proved everyone pretty wrong that he really is a, a contender. And, you know, Jan's got a very good chance of going top five in, in Hawaii. I reckon if he can if he can get off the bike in the right place, um, mm. it's, it's a known fact that if you if you get off the bike in the second pack and you run a high two high two forty at Kona, you generally run yourself onto the podium. So um or so there's definitely chances of him getting in that in the top five. But um yeah, his, his his improvement's been massive. Like when I fir- when I first picked him up, he was struggling to break three hours for a marathon, and now you know he just ran a two two thirty nine marathon. You know, and it's just been that steady steady progression. Um, you know, he went from when I first when I first co- when I first coached him, his first race was a two fifty. Then did a whole shed of time um, doing two forties, two forty fives, and then just this last block before Tulsa, he did a few things in training, and I'm like, wow, like yeah, that's like. You know, this is better than you've ever been. And I said to him, I said to him, you will run a high two thirty, a high two thirty, or a low two forty. And um, lo and behold, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> well, what do you think it credits to? Do you think it's his bike getting strong? I mean, he was always a reasonable runner, and any any athletes coming out of ITU and yeah, yeah, well, runner, but yeah, I think I mean he's always been a, a reasonable runner, right? But I think um, like he. One of his the main things was he was just at the. I mean, we would get into this, but he generally had one of his main things that was holding him back was he had a really poor fat metabolism, and as a result, he would just run out of energy. He'd run out of endogenous carbohydrate stores, and um, and he wouldn't he couldn't run the marathon, and he'd be okay for the first half, but the second half he'd be you know he just wouldn't hold on. So you know, the, really, the only thing that's changed is um, yeah, he has got better at biking, and I think. That's a combination of good training and uh, we've done quite a lot of work in his position, which has made quite a big difference. Um, he's been doing stuff with um, Swiss side and um, and they've been really helpful with, with getting that dialed in. But then the, the other half, he's just shifted his fat metabolism um, to be higher, like almost doubled it. Um, and if you if you want to that into simple terms, that's the equivalent of needing 30 less gels on the bike leg because um, <laughs> I, I did the maths. Um, and I actually wrote a blog on it as well. If anyone wants to look at the website and draw IQ, so th- and that just makes a difference. It means that he can then maintain himself and not run out of energy. And that's uh, it's really as simple as that. It's just, um, you know some things in certain people, certain athletes. There's always what's holding that athlete back. Is it their threshold? Is it their VO two max? Is it their economy? Is it their substrate use? And in Jan's case, it was definitely a substrate use. And, um, and yeah. thankfully, there was a, a, a qu- well, not a quick fix, but there was a fix. And it, um, made a big difference um but you know all credit to Jan because I think when it comes into that type of shift and that type of change in mindset what I've found is that unless you really believe in the process and you go all in it just doesn't work and you know Jan was someone who really took it on and he he went all in on the process and he's you know, he's just a great athlete to work with he's very um he's super smart as well such an intelligent guy mm-hmm. and he um yeah and he made the most of the situation when, when, when you mentioned um, 
it, it took some time. What, what kind of time are you looking at for an athlete like Jan? Because I, I see myself much the same as Jan. I remember my first 10 miles off the bike in Kona felt like, yay, this is awesome. And then it was like, oh, man, the wheels. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, but what kind of time did it take to, it's to get really, to that? It's a really good question. I think, you know, people can see differences in six weeks, um, but it really is the gift that keeps on giving, I do believe, as well, because, you know, you're always, you're always honing in and um, – finding what the correct amount of carbohydrate intake is for you as an individual anyway. And, um, you know, that takes a bit of time to titrate that and get that right. And, um, but I think he's still seeing improvements and gains now. Well, he clearly is because he keeps getting better. Um, but, it, but I think, you know, to get real gains, it takes one, two, even three years before you really start to, um, to get the, to get that robustness mm. in the substrate use. And um, like for me, for example, um, just uh, just to, as a comparison, I was my PhD student. He was looking at um, substrate use, looking at basically what happens if you have carbohydrate before exercise, what happens if you have fat and protein before exercise, and what happens if you have um, just um, just like you just fasted. And with me, because my fat metabolism was so strong, even if I had white bread and jam before I exercised, my fat metabolism was still higher than anybody else's who was a subject, even wow. if they were fasted. So, and I think that takes a while to get it so robust that you can then start taking quite a lot of carbohydrates and still hold quite a strong fat metabolism. And, um, you know, Jan during the race, he, he, he shoveled the carbs and, um, and he actually wore the Super Sapiens device, which um, we, we'll probably get into in a bit more detail. It's basically a continuous blood glucose monitor. And his, um, his blood glucose sat at 200 milligrams per deciliter for pretty much the entire race. So he's clearly very able to utilize both fuel sources. He can use fat and he can use carbohydrates. And that's, and that's where the right mix of getting it right, the, you know, not just going crazy low-carb ketogenic and just dropping your, dropping your carbs to less than 50 and hoping for the best, but getting the right mixture of a lower-carb diet with the right infiltration of carbohydrates at the right times allows you to get the best of both worlds. Because at the end of the day, that's what everyone wants, right? You want to be using fat and then only going and using carbohydrates when you really, really only need to. Mm. When, when you mentioned those numbers, 200 milligrams, uh, what does that mean in terms of your overall health when you see these kind of numbers? Um, it's one thing to be doing it in a race. How is your body functioning whilst it's getting such high numbers of, of glucose in the bloodstream? Okay, well, I mean, you certainly, if you were, if you were that way day in, day out, you would be highly, you know, it's not very good for your insulin. It's not very good for your inf inflammation. It's not, mm. you know, that's not something that you want to do day in, day out at all. And Jan didn't do that, you know, and he could do like four by 40 minutes and barely anything. But, you know, there's a difference when it comes into race day that he then just makes a shift. And I think that you have to almost accept that come race day, you do have to do a few things that, um, that aren't optimal for health because you're really looking for performance when it comes to that point mm. in time, right? And, and I think that's just a, a given almost. Um, you know, there's, I always remember that, you know, on race day, it's time to treat your body like a rental car. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard that expression? I love that. <laughs> I, think it, I think it holds quite true, especially for, for someone like Jan, who's generally quite, um, you know, is pretty good with what he's eaten in the, in the, um, in, in the general day-to-day. -day. But, yeah, if you were doing that day in, day out, you, you would just really want to likely shut down your fat metabolism a lot. And 
And having chronically high levels of blue glucose has been shown to be linked with um, yeah, all-cause mortality, lower health outcomes, high levels of inflammation. Mm. Um, so that's definitely something that we you know, we can consider. And I know that we definitely want to talk a little bit about like super sapiens and continuous blood glucose monitoring anyway. So, Yes, I do want to get onto that later in the show. Um, I have my super sapiens app going right next to me right now. I'm just seeing if talking to you affects it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it brings it down. <laughs> yeah, down actually it was a little bit high at the start here and it's it's it might be coming down a bit too steeply yeah. you go you go you go in hyperglycemic yeah, exactly <laughs> i guess on that you know when when you say okay yeah he decided to take a lot of gels and 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 have more the the glucose coming into the system does the body how is the body transitioning from focusing on glucose to then focusing on fat and is that transition do, do you notice that as an athlete at that kind of level um well you know there's the you know the the jury's out but people will think you know this whole training the gut and stuff thinking that if you don't train it during training your body's like oh my god what are all these cars but that's something that i'm working with now you know we've had 700 plus people come through our low carb course and i've never had one person come to me and said oh i wish i really you know, get into a race and go, I wish I'd trained my gut before that. Not one person's ever said that to me. And Jan's no different. I'm no different. So I, don't, I think, you know, a, a macronutrient is a macronutrient. It's not like Jan's ne- not seen a carbohydrate at all in, you know, five years. He's seen carbohydrates all the time. They're in loads of different foods that he eats, vegetables and, you know, everything. And he's not like he's on zero carb. So there's, that's something to, to, to consider. Um, but... But what happens during exercise, and that's been this has been shown in a study that was done by um, I think it was Jenkins, Jenkins in um, and Yukendrup. When you, if you imagine you've got like um, you've got your endogenous carbohydrate stores, and then you've got your fat metabolism, and you imagine them as a bar graph stacked on top of each other, and you know how that looks would be one person. You might be, it might be fifty fifty in one person, right? And mm-hmm. then another person, it might be seventy thirty, right? So if you just imagine that type of bar graph. And then you have the other part coming in, which is then your exogenous carbohydrate stores. So they're the carbohydrates that you're eating during exercise. Mm-hmm. And those exogenous carbohydrate stores are basically they're pushing down your fat metabolism and your endogenous carbohydrate and your endogenous carbohydrate stores at the same time. So they're they're basically saving overall um, endogenous carbohydrate stores. And that's really what you're trying to achieve, right? At the end of the day, Finishing a good Ironman is about the preservation of endogenous internal carbohydrate stores. And the exogenous supply is basically helping you to do that because that's the first thing that you will burn. You will burn the exogenous before the endogenous and you'll just shut down your fat metabolism a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. totally fine because at the end of the day, the endogenous supplies are, um, are being preserved a bit more. So um, so does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It, it really does. I, I guess... Um you know, because we hear so much about sort of training the fat zone or, or, you know, trying to get to the point that you're using fat for energy. Um, but, but fat has its limitations in the sense of trying to go beyond, you know, a, a certain pacing. It, it, you know, I found that when I was racing a lot myself, you know, I tried to do a little bit more fat metabolizing and, and then I try and do harder workouts and it just felt rubbish. You know, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't get my heart rate up and it just, it just felt rubbish. Is that why you kind of look at going, 
okay, let's, I mean, there's obviously like you, you just mentioned, you, you take the carbohydrates during, um, the racing. So you don't use the carbohydrates that are in storage, but is it also because if you go heavily into fat for energy, you're going to be limited into sort of your performance that you can deliver? Yeah. I mean, if you don't have the carbohydrates available for sure, right. I mean, there's certain yeah. things that, I mean, it's a known fact that certain intensities require more, um, Mm-hmm. more carbohydrates and, and you know and this is i actually wrote a paper in sports medicine it was called um, different cor- different horses on the same courses and we went through um you know what okay what's the difference between an age group uh, substrate use and a, and a pro substrate use you know the, the bottom line is is that at the end of the day like pros require more calories right because if you're like 400 watts of work requires more calories and energy than 200 watts of work, that's a that's the bottom line. And there's only so much um, fat metabolism can sustain, right? So you know, if you were just but had a really high fat metabolism rate, let's say it was like 1.4 grams per minute, you know, if you were 100% fat metabolism, that's probably only going to be like um, like 320 watts, right? So if you're above that, regardless of how good your fat metabolism is, and that would be like yeah, so that would be, I think that's it, 1.8 grams per minute, which is a ridiculously high fat metabolism. You would, you could be burning fat at about 300 watts. So, but, you know, if you consider that now you've got anyone who's above that, regardless of how high the fat metabolism is, they're still going to require some carbohydrate use. And no one will be at 1.8 grams per minute. Even if they're really good, they'll be around one. So, um, so basically what I'm saying is that the more elite you go, regardless of how good your fat metabolism, there will still be a higher requirement of carbohydrates because overall calorie and energy expenditure is higher. Mm. Um, whereas if you're at 200 watts, you could potentially just have 100% of your energy coming from fat and you wouldn't actually need any carbohydrate. But So there is kind of, there's a sliding scale. There's like, one is you have to consider, okay, what is the individual athlete's fat metabolism in general? And then, okay, what is this athlete trying to achieve during... Mm. Um, in terms of power mm. outputs, paces during a race, because that's also a really important consideration. And um, yeah, in this sports med paper that we wrote, you know, we actually looked at Lionel Sanders's data because he publishes it, and we um, and we kind of looked at okay, if Lionel Sanders had the very good fat metabolism, which I definitely don't think he does. Um, he doesn't. No. <laughs> no. Sorry, Lionel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, which you don't think he does, even if he had, he would still require a lot of carbohydrates because he was doing like you know 300, 320 watts during the Kona Ironman because he put he published that data and we we that was off the when he came second in um, to Patrick mm-hmm. Langer I think it was in two thousand and seventeen is that right mm-hmm. was, That's right yeah 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 so um so yeah so there's it's not just a case that you know you've got you've kind of got to know the numbers a little bit and be pretty aware of it and. Um, yeah, and even titrate some carbohydrates back in during training when it's when it when when it's needed. Mm-hmm. So with your athletes, okay, we've talked about Jan van Berkel, a wonderful guy. You've got quite the list of athletes that you're working with: um, Terenza Bazzoni, Chelsea Sodaro, um, who we can talk about a bit. Are you monitoring them on a regular basis and and seeing what improvements you can find in terms of? of that low carb, high fat diet and fueling, if we want to call it that, um, are you monitoring a lot to see what improvements you can find them? Yeah. Well, I mean, with, um, so with Terenzo, like, um, you know, one of the first things we did, we did was, you know, we made a shift in his fat metabolism and, you know, I think that's one of the reasons he suddenly got a lot better at doing Ironman compared to 70.3, right? He, mm-hmm. he made that jump pretty, 
pretty astoundingly. Um, and yeah, but, but with Trendo, it's quite easy for us because he's in Auckland, I'm in Auckland, <coughs> I've got access to a lab and, you know, I can, <coughs> I can take him in there and we can just measure it directly. Right. And that's pretty, pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, just, just general feedback from athletes and, um, and looking at, um, you know, how that, what, you know, how they're feeling at the end of exercise, how much they're eating during exercise. And I think they in- intuitively know, um, how that, how they, how they're going in that regard. Um, but with Chelsea, like, you know, no, I haven't, we haven't touched on anything like that at the moment because one is she's just given birth, she's breastfeeding. So, so, uh, <laughs> So it's not really the time, you know, just trying to keep her quite healthy and um, we're quite balanced in her approach. And, and, you know, and I think I'm often seen as this kind of um, this anti-carb, this, you know, low-carb zealot. And I'm definitely not that way at all. Um, I'm, I, I think I'm actually a bit more, I like to think I'm a bit more pragmatic in my approach than people let on for um because at the end of the day, it's um, I look at it as in okay, what does this athlete really need? And I'm not even convinced Chelsea will will need it because on the other side, her economy and efficiency is so good that that's the other side of the coin, right? Is that she's so efficient, she uses low, she doesn't use much energy in general. So you imagine is that you can have a high fat metabolism, but if your economy is really bad, you're still using a lot of energy, so you're still in a lot of trouble. You know, so there's all these things that you have to consider where it's just not as simple as just looking at look at the person's fat metabolism, not really understanding the whole the whole There you go. You got good fat metabolism, see you later. Go win Kona. I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah. So um so yeah, and it's funny because I was actually having um I was actually chatting with um Jan Fredino over direct message and and we were just talking about, you know, Ed Baker, who's also been on your your show and mm-hmm. and I was and, he, and I said, um, you know, I'm not really like a massive anti carb person you know and he goes oh really i, I just thought you were <laughs> I'm like no i'm definitely i'm really not i think it's um it's just what, the way i look at it and like to use it is that you know the, the determinants of performance look at the athlete what's you know what what's really going on with them is is if and if fat metabolism is really an area that needs work um then you would push that push that button and do something about it but if it doesn't then you know i think there are still some benefits to lowering your carb just from a health perspective but if it doesn't, then, you know, there might be other things like VO2 max, economy, thresholds, um, mm. you know, lots of other things that you can, where you can dial the lever um, and pull the lever and, and dial it up in the, in the right way. And that to me is when you have a good, when you have a good grasp of data and physiology, I think that's where, you know, you can make some good inroads with, you, with the athletes you're, you're working with. I think you, to some degree, you're an energy manager. You, you, you're trying to... Your athletes, you're trying to be, make, like you said, more efficient in movement and aerodynamics in in the way that they're using energy, and then the energy that they are using. You're just trying to find the best way for that energy to be replaced. Yeah, I know exactly. And and, and for a sport like long distance yeah. triathlon, like you know, if if a four thousand meter pursuiter came to me, like, and they were, like, and they said, and I'm like, oh, you, you've got a terrible fat metabolism. Like, I don't really care, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's because it's it's not it's not going to make any difference. It's like, yeah. you know, lots of, I mean, one of the things that people often say with low carb diets is, is oh, there's no performance data. I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, do you want to try and make someone do an Ironman in a, in a lap? You know, no one's ever done that. Right. And you know, the studies when they're looking at 10 K race walkers, I'm like, well, is that really, 
a sport where having a good fat metabolism is actually really important. Whereas Ironman, it definitely is important. It's, it's to me, it's as crazy as making someone go to the gym, do bench press and say, hey, bench press had no effect on performance when you're using Ironman as a test. You know, it's like, it's as crazy as that. So, um, so that, that, that has to also, also be, be considered. But at the end of the day, like Ironman, as I always tell my athletes, it's, it's, a, it's a funny sport because it's, I always say it's not about going faster. Ironman is all about doing things easier. And, and if you can get that into your head and you can train in that way is not get faster, just make sure it's easier, then that'll be, that'll be the way. And, and, and like the amount of pros that I work with, the most amazing thing is that, you know, they can run at four minute Ks with a heart rate of 120, you know, whereas, whereas you can have an age grouper who would be running alongside them in training at four minute Ks, but their heart rate's 160, you know, that's, and that's kind of the difference. Mm. Well, that's the sport, isn't it? I remember talking to Javier Gomez, not this last episode, but earlier on, and he told me going into London Olympics, and we'd done a lot of training together, and he said, you know, I knew I was pretty fit when I was holding, I did 10 1K repeats on the track at three-minute Ks holding a 150 heart rate. Yeah, that's nice. Like, yeah. Whoa. Like that's, most people are, even pros are still, you know, high 160s into 170s, and he's basically just cruising along yeah yeah i I think it's a it's a great um like submax heart rate is a an amazing tool for monitoring athletes um there's been there's been loads um, lamberts and lamberts have done loads of stuff in that area as well and marnie bouchette so i mean i'm I'm a big fan of submax heart rate to just look at performance and look at um how people are how athletes are improving A quick mini break, I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up for Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Want to see all your key metrics like your pace, distance, stroke rate and heart rate while you're swimming? You need the Form Smart Swim goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg that's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off or you can use code Greg15 at checkout. Take advantage of the great sale going on now at Hyperice. Plus get 10% off all Hyperice products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show discount code Greg21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com and use code Greg21. Shifting gear a bit, who, who, what athletes have you got that have got, you know, coming up to whether Olympics, Collins Cup, Kona Ironman, have you got? Well, well, I, well one of the main things is that I'm also the lead physiologist for the women's kayak program, the Olympic program. So, ah, um, so you are involved in the Olympics then coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to the Olympics. Um, I kind of, I kind of, you know, in that role, I'm very much um, on the sidelines looking at data, helping mm. the coach make decisions. Um, so yeah, so they leave to the, for the Gold Coast next week, and yeah, and then the, then there's um, yeah, and then then the going to Tokyo. So I think I think we're in a pretty good spot. I think we should come away with a few gold medals, hopefully. So we'll see how see how that goes. Um, yeah. So there's there's a, that's that side. I'm obviously like there's a bit of a down period with the America's Cup, and then I've just got my um, my so we have the Enjoy IQ training squad as well. So. That's kind of more of just an online-based platform where we have lots of athletes and we have rolling plans, loads of different training sessions, scalable workouts. And that's been going really well. We just had um, Cairns Ironman here and like, we had 90% of our athletes did PBs. 
So that's always pretty um, pretty encouraging. Mm. We had quite a lot of athletes racing in it as well. Um, and, and yeah, and then there's Chelsea and Jan and Ed Baker as well and lots of other age group, age group athletes who are going – you know, who have got big, big goals. So there's kind of two sides. I have, I have six one-on-one athletes and then we have the training squad as well. So, yeah. You're amazing, mate. I've been watching the Endure IQ just take off. How many people have you got now in that squad? Uh, we got about 100, 150. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah it goes, yeah. I mean, we, we, I mean, it's just, um, it's really good. It's a nice community, and I think everyone's um, really getting into it. Um, mm. You know, we obviously want to build it more and more. Um, so, but then at the same time, um, with that, we're also building. I'm also part of a co-founder of a company called Trick. Yes, um, you told me about that. I wanted that was my next question. So go on. Let's yeah. tell me about this Trick. Yeah. So, so, so Trick is actually based out of Zurich, and um, basically, I formed a partnership with them. Um, they they basically found me um, and wanted some help to you know it was, um, there was um, there was an investor and the investor was a really keen triathlete and he and he had this problem of availability and and he wanted to build basically an AI coaching platform that could adjust for your needs um, and requirements and so he found me and three of us founded the company and yeah now it, it's, pretty, it's getting it's pretty it's a very big company now we just we just launched the beta uh, beta testing. I think it was two weeks ago now. Um, it's and a training app for triathlon specifically. Yeah, so for the time being, it's for triathlon specifically, but we'll probably get into cycling and running as well in in the in the future. And what it does is it's um, so it will adjust your training sessions based on how on your readiness for one and your availability. So every morning you wake up, you take your your HRV measurement. And it will um, and it will assess your readiness to train, and it will decide whether it needs to adjust your training based on how fatigued you are. It's not just on HRV; it's a few um, subjective questions like motivation to train. And for example, if it feels that you're under recovered, it will switch that workout. So if you plan to do a VO two max long session, it might make it a little bit easier, or it might shift it to an endurance session. And it and then from every training session that you do, you you gain fatigue. And then it looks at your recovery rate. And that recovery rate is kind of has some machine learning and it individualizes to you. So, so a fitter person will have a faster recovery rate. So therefore they can do more training. They could do more high intensity training, whereas a, low, a, a not so fit person has a slower recovery rate. And you wouldn't be allowed to do the same sorts of sessions that a, a more elite person would. So it's, yeah, I mean, this is like the squad, but it's kind of the next level of, um, it's like the squad on steroids, so to speak, where it's got a lot of um, um, data, data science and machine learning um, going on in the background. So it's really, really exciting. So people can, Definitely check that out. Um, it's hopefully going to be launching and in, in the market in um, around September time. Wow. So what what sort of wearables do you need to have to work alongside it? Is it, uh, I mean, are you using the blood glucose monitoring system like the Super Sapiens? Or are you using, um, how are you testing HRV? Yeah, so not not at the moment. Um, so not we're no Super Sapiens at the moment, but obviously the, the world is our oyster, right, what we can put into there. But at the moment, um, HRV is measured in the morning using PP tech. PPG technology on the back of the like the camera phone, um, just mm. like um, like HRV for training, similar sort of thing. Yeah, so that's the main reason way we get it. And then it will be the way it works is that from the session that you did the day before, and it will give you a training load score, and then it will say, and okay, okay, 
you know, your it gives you a, a training load score. And from if it's a high training load score, you get a high fatigue number, and then it will start looking at your recovery rate. And then say like by the next time, by the next morning, you did like you did a mass. You're supposed to do two hours cycling, and you end up doing four and a half. It will recognize that, and the next morning it will realize that you're more fatigued than you you should have been. It will kind of cross check that with your HRV, and if it confirms that, it will then change your training um, to something that's more suitable for you to do because you kind of overshot the day before. And so it's, it's heavily focused on the heart rate variability. I mean, that's is that one variable enough uh, in terms of deciding overall? Well, it's, I guess it's like, it's not actually really. It's 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 focused on a lot of things. It's focused on the training load. That's a massive one, right? So, so I mean, for example, like Greg, if, if you did a six-hour ride, regardless of what your heart variability is in the morning, I'm no, I know that you're going to be pretty tired the next day. So I don't really. So that in that case, it's mainly actually we're looking at the training load and then cross-checking it with heart rate variability and subjective mm-hmm. measures, so motivation to train and um, and muscle soreness and and things like that. So God, amazing, absolutely amazing. Where was all this stuff fifteen years ago? Gee, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's absolutely incredible. The you know the machine learning, I guess, is just extraordinary. Where I mean, we've always thought this kind of thing might happen. You know where uh, uh, an app or a training program will will be able to work with you, um, rather than having an individual coach that you kind of have to answer to and talk. You know, relive or rehash things with. I think sometimes just having something where it just tells you what to do by yeah, looking think, at. Your, and I think it's really good because obviously I use the I use the beta version at the moment, and I've been testing it. And what's really cool about it is that you don't have to worry about things, and and like you know, if I miss a swim you know, the app recognizes that missed the swim and it will just sort it out for me. Well, I don't have to think about it. It's like, oh, you missed the swim. Here you go. Just... <laughs> Does it book the lane time for you as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it knows. Um, so you have to enter your own availability and when you can do certain sports, right? So it's, you know, during on a, on a Monday morning between 5.30 and 6.30, I can swim, bike and run. On a Tuesday, on a Monday afternoon, I can only bike and run. So it kind of knows that and, um, and it will go, okay, you missed the swim here let's shift things around and, and make it up here. Or you didn't do, you know, you missed your key workout here or you didn't do your long workout, your training intensity distribution's out now. We're going to have to make it up in some other way. So that's another thing that it's also doing is that we work towards a polarized and pyramidal training intensity distribution depending on the athlete and the training phase. And it will always try and correct to make you have the correct training intensity distribution all the time. Um, so that's another thing that it does that's really pretty cool. So, in fact, Stephen Seeler, um, who's one of the, the – I don't know if you know who he is. He's kind of the polarized training guru. He's one of the advisors um, with the app as well. So that's pretty cool to have have him on board. So it basically starts by saying, okay, like if it's me, it's like, okay, I want to do an Ironman, whatever, next yeah. March. Yeah, so um, the, way, the way it starts is that you basically – you. You put in your numbers, like your heart rates, your thresholds, um, you know, and all, you know, basically how much you trained in the last like six weeks. When what was your, the longest run you did in the last six weeks? What was the longest bike you did in the last six weeks? Um, what's your what's your threshold power if you know it? And if you don't know, it, we'll 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 find that out for you. Um, and then and then it'll be okay. What's your race goal? And then and what is your race goal? And when is your race goal? And it, once you put that in, the app will actually say, hey, "Hang on a minute." 
no, um, that's a little bit too um, ambitious. So, you know, if you come really? with Greg and you go and you say, hey, I'm, I'm Greg Bennett. I've been training for six hours every week for the past year and I want to do an Ironman in six weeks in under eight hours. We'll go, get on, come on, Greg. <laughs> that's not realistic. So. Is it really cheeky like that? That'd be awesome. <laughs> no. yeah. it, it's a, it'll just say, oh, well, because we don't know whether that's really achievable. So we suggest you either go for a shorter race or you push the goal out or something like that, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Try try to be a bit polite about it. So so it will um so we'll do that. And then from there, um once you, once it's once you've agreed on your goal, then you enter your availability. You, tell me when you can do things if you've got fixed sessions if you like you know for me for example i swim with a squad three times a week so you can put that in so it knows that that's a fixed session and then it'll just it'll just build that plan so um so yeah so yeah people can check it out and we've also got a facebook group um that people can join as well which is um i think it's um, training innovators is the name of the facebook group um, do you have any more people signing up for the beta testing or have you already filled that? Quote? Yeah, we filled that at the moment. So, um, yeah. yeah, and we had, we had 50 beta tests at the moment. Yeah. It's just, um, just iOS at the moment, but obviously eventually it'll be available on Android as well. So oh, this be brilliant. you know, you know, the other day I just, um, the, the great people at Zwift set me up finally. I'm, I feel like I'm so far behind. Oh it, man, but. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to have to come and do the, um, Endure IQ, Endure IQ weekly Zwift sessions then. Absolutely, I'd love to. I I signed up for a race, uh, first ride. I haven't ridden in a year, year and a half, right? So I was like, oh, I might as well just race. I would have loved to have known um, your power numbers for when you were done doing the non-drafting. What sort of powers you would? You, you must have been close to four hundred watts or, or more. Uh, four hundred for the first ten k was always the goal, and right. then and then once you get to ten k, dial it back. Um, yeah. That about what to three ninety five or something? No, no, no. Three ninety eight. No. <laughs> big numbers. The goal was low numbers and fast. I mean, yeah. Like we were saying energy. It's all about energy. You know, yeah. Earlier, it's about energy. And so for me, even the year I won high V twenty eleven. Now you got to remember there was um, eighty eight corners, ninety degree corners, and U turns. So eighty eight corners, but I averaged two eighty five. What? Yeah. Wow. What would that, what, what would you, your what would your normal eyes have been? I don't remember that now, but I, I just know that, um, but I also had three different SRMs, you know, throughout my, and this one that I had read so low yeah. and I remember talking to, actually it was Lance Armstrong. We were at the, in, in 2012 and, um, we were waiting for the press conference. We were talking about SRMs. He said, I never share my, my wattage because my SRMs are always, you know, way, way lower or what my scores aren't ever that impressive. And, so I remember putting out, look, I averaged 290 or whatever it was for, for high V and everyone's like, oh, that's rubbish. And it's like, well, I just put it down to I was very aerodynamic. Um, yeah, it does, it does sound a bit yeah. off though. I have to, have to <laughs> sounds a bit like, yeah. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I think my natural talent, if I said I had any natural talent in the sport, it was the ability on the bike to hold threshold and hold a reasonable amount of power. That was my one thing I got um swimming and running and everything else to do with the bike took a lot of work but the one thing i always sort of just had was the ability to sort of just hold a position and hold a steady high power of whatever percent of vo2 um that was the one talent i had and it was a gift and i appreciate it um but i wouldn't know otherwise i think you had a little bit more than one talent but um yeah the others the other talent was i was passionate about improving that was a big talent 
as well. And and yes, my VO2 is reasonable and, and I had a few other things. But um, but the Zwift thing, I signed up the other day. I've done two rides. I did the first one. I just, it asked me, you know, how many times a week are you riding? I'm like, oh, I'm just riding, you know, twice a week for half an hour or whatever. You know, it wasn't much. And and have you, and it did, it asked me similar questions to what you're saying that the trick app does. And um, so it put me out on this training session, wouldn't let me go above one and a half my body weight. So I put in whatever I was, 75 kilos or whatever. And I couldn't, it was so easy that that's the thing. You wouldn't know. Um, you actually wouldn't know because with, with, with our app, you actually have to put in a power number. So, um, but yeah, it wouldn't yeah, know well, your background either. Right. Your, your, your also think, have you found people go very, very fast in these bike races? I was amazed. Like, I know I'm not fit, yeah, well, I think there's always a bit of. Um, I think you always have to take the actual weight that put it people um, that some people put in with a grain of salt sometimes, right? I was amazed. I was I pushing three and a half my body weight or four, and I got all these guys riding around me at two and a half to three their body weight. You know, I was looking at the little screen on the side there. Yeah, it's like wow, they must be midgets. <laughs> I didn't mean to offend well, anybody. We'll have to, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hook you up, and you'll have to join us on Thursday Absolutely. morning. But when is that? Thursday mornings. It's Thursday June. morning, seven thirty. It's this. It's pretty much now, really. So. All right. So this is a, a that'd be a Wednesday afternoon for me in Colorado. I could. Yeah. That. Yeah. This time Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. So you yeah, kids are napping and, and everything else. Oh, right, yeah. Well, let's keep, let's keep talking about heart rate variability um, because. For me, this is fascinating, all of this, and I and, and I apologize to listeners if I'm behind the time in terms of heart rate variability, but this seems to have come around this last five years after I retired, or, or I was just ignorant back, back then. Um, how can we use it just for health? I mean, and, and, and just so anybody listening, give them a quick background as we discussed last time. Your heart rate variability measures the automatic nervous system as much as anything, right? The sympathetic, your fight or flight, or your parasympathetic recovery and relaxed. Um, and that we want the higher the heart rate variability, the better. Um, have I summed it up pretty well? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty good. That was a pretty good summary. So yeah, so it's yeah. basically it's a surrogate marker of your autonomic nervous system. Yeah, with higher heart rate variability being linked to more parasympathetic activity and lower heart rate variability being linked to more sympathetic activity. And the reason it is that way is because the parasympathetic system is much quicker to react um, on the on the heart. So it's very fast. So because it's a very fast to react, you get more variation between the beats. So it's changing more quickly. Whereas the sympathetic system is quite slow to react. So because it's slow to react, there's not as much variation between beats. And that's why you have these differences in, um, you know, more or less variability. Yeah, so that's the, that's the whole idea behind it and so is there a time and place to have a low heart rate variability like i mean we talk about fight or flight i mean that's obviously a time that you need to be on and going as athletes or even just in our general yeah. health yes yeah, so when it comes when it comes to we just tackle health in general like there's a lot of a lot of research and a lot of evidence to suggest that um you know people who have high levels of heart rate variability at rest uh, have better better health outcomes of lower risk of cardiovascular disease, lower risk of all-cause mortality, and they're generally, you know, they're generally living that little bit longer. And there's actually, mm-hmm. I was just reading a study the other day that it looked at basically normative values of, um, there's about 
I think it's like 5,000 people. And it was, you know, what happens is that as you, you know, when you're, when you're less than 30, like 20 to 30, your high is quite high. And then as you get older, you know, you're aging, your high ability comes down. But then it's kind of got, it has, what's really interesting is it has this, in, um, this U-shaped relationship because once you get over 60, the horribility on average of most people, then then it goes this normative, the normative data, it actually pops back up and it goes higher again. And you know, <laughs> there's a bit of an argument between whether that's actually an autonomic dysfunction or it's a result of that it is such a predictor of longevity and, and being well, is that once you're getting over 60, you're then in a more of an aging population. So by default, all those people have a high heart rate variability because they're just living longer. So, um, so that's, that's, that's kind of where it is really important to have, um, you know, to, if you can look at ways to improve your heart rate variability, you are basically looking at, you know, better health outcomes and better all around health. So what are some of those impacts, uh, things that impact heart rate variability? Yeah, so there's, there's, loads of, there's loads of things that, that, that with that. I mean, one of the main things is obviously exercise. Um, exercise is a huge one. Exercise has definitely been shown to increase heart rate variability, specifically around the intensity of exercise. Generally, you know, we're looking at day-to-day, day-to-day training, like low-intensity exercise generally will increase it over time. If you're looking at a rolling average and high-intensity um, exercise will decrease it. Um, but then when you rest, you have the you have the, like a rebound effect and then heart variability will come back up again. Uh, so okay. that's, the, that's, that's where it comes into the importance of, you know, that balance between low intensity and high intensity training is that you don't really want to be depressing your heart variability be doing day on day, day in, day out of high intensity training. So um, so that's that's one thing. Anything that generally lowers inflammation will um, increase your heart rate variability. So things like, um, uh, you know, diet can play a huge role. Sleep can play a huge role. Um, low low stress in general, like work and life, work-life balance can help, can really affect your heart rate variability. Um, mm. Meditation can help your, um, doing the correct breathing can help your um, heart rate variability. Um, and there's just a really good study that was come out that came out that was um, well, what did it just come out? It was actually 2017 by Redwine, and it looked at gratitude journaling and showed that the just doing a daily gratitude journal can really help increase your heart rate variability. And because the cranial nerve is actually linked to your, you know, it's all linked to your heart, and the whole thing is kind of interlinked. So, um, so these are all like practices that you can do to help with your heart rate variability generally. That's fantastic. What a great summary. Uh, now, I know we chatted the last couple of weeks. I've been using this um, product called Apollo Neuro. Um, I don't know if you've managed to get yours yet. I was trying to see if they could get one to you. Yeah, they're, um, they're sending me one. There's one There's one on its way, but I haven't I haven't got it yet. So Yeah, well, it's hard to ask your opinion on it then because uh, – yeah. but I have been – I've just got to say – and I'm not – this is not a sponsorship plug. They're not sponsoring me or anything. They may in the future, but they're not. Um, I have actually found that I feel pretty good on it, and yeah. <laughs> and I'm a cynical Australian. I, I, I really, uh, you know, it was recommended to me by um, uh, what was his name? Uh, sorry, mental blank while while I'm right here, um, Doctor Maroon, and and so I reached out to them. They said, "Sure, we'll send you one," and and I've tried it, and uh, it's been quite amazing. And they their whole premise is uh, a lot of it about heart rate variability, the the data that they've collected. Um, so I'll be interested to get your thought on it. Have you done any homework on it pre? Yeah, I, I haven't. You know, and, and I think they're really on the right track. And Apollo, you know, they're looking at high variability, and 
And, you know, like that's a great – if I was to pick two things to really get a hold of your health and two markers that I would, would look at for anyone, if you're an athlete or whatever, you know, you want to look at heart variability and you want to look at your blood glucose. I mean, those two things, if you can get those two things tight and you can, you know, so high variability is high, your blood glucose is low and less varied – you know, you're generally on a pretty healthy lifestyle and you're doing all the, all the things right. But, you know, with the Apollo, so like what I found out is it, it's all, it's kind of mimicking touch, right? So it's trying to make you feel like you're basically mm-hmm. being touched. And, it's and vibration. Me, on your yes, through the vibration. Yeah, and that yeah. makes a, a lot of sense. And I think anyone knows that if you're feeling really stressed and someone gives you a big hug, right? You know, you, you feel like, you know, oh, thank goodness, mm-hmm. but you feel a thousand times better. And it, um, so I think there's, it's quite interesting. There's definitely, there'll definitely be something in that kind of way of thinking. And it made me, you know, think about massage as well with athletes. And, you know, if you look at the data and the research of massage, you, you're pretty, it's pretty hard to find that it really does anything substantial. But I often think that athletes love it because maybe, you know, the human touch is having some effect on your high variability and your overall wellness, right? So it's not just about being rubbed and having trigger points looked at i think there's a lot to be said for just someone actually touching you um mm-hmm. so that's yeah i was there's my I wife's always telling me she says you know what she, she read some research once you know she goes you need 10 hugs a day for at least 20 seconds <laughs> so maybe 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 she was right and um but i said to her yes and i said well i get my i'm getting my apollo device soon so you won't, I won't need any more hugs <laughs> i won't need you anymore i won't need you anymore I'm just going to get hugs from my Apollo device. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I have it on right now. I turn it on to um, social and open when I, when I do these conversations. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know the full science of it. I haven't read all their reports. I'm hoping you'll do that for me and then give me summaries and give me the cliff notes. Um, yeah. but, Did you, but I, do you wear I, it on your wrist or on your, on your ankle? They say it's better to do it on the ankle, but I, I do. I just wear it on my. You don't wrist. look like you're out of a detention center and. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just handy to have it on your wrist because you know you wear it for anywhere from fifteen minutes to two hours or whatever, depending on the setting you have it. So it has it has eight different settings, and, and right. so it has. Like a, the thing a, is, I'm I'm going to have to grow an extra limb because I'm kind of out of out of arms for devices now. <laughs> Well, it's funny as I sit here, and I want to move on to this next next thing, and that's the super sapiens, the blood glucose monitoring. As you said, as we're talking about heart rate variability and um, and understanding our glucose levels, and this super sapiens, you know, I've got the the Abbott Libra patch on my arm. I go to, I take the kids to the pool. They're like, oh, what's up with that guy with the strange patch? Although in Boulder, I have actually seen a few people in the pool swimming with them on. So I think Boulder being more of a endurance hub of the US, there are more people using them, even though you can't actually get them in the US yet. I don't think they've been approved by the FDA. No, no, um, I don't think they have. Yeah, but they have, they are in Europe. So anybody in Europe, uh, you can use the Super Sapiens and you can grab it um, and give it a go. But let's talk about it for a second. Um, yeah. So um, where to begin? So um, so what is a what is a CGM? So a CGM goes in your arm um, and. Unlike blood glucose, so, you know, you can have a typical fingertip jab and, um, and measure it, your blood glucose on the spot. Um, the CGM is just has a tiny needle that goes in, in the side of your arm and it actually is measuring blood glucose in the interstitial fluid. So it is a slightly different thing to the, the typical finger, fingertip jab and looking at your um, and looking at the blood glucose in that. Um, and, yeah, it's just looking at your blood glucose. I think it captures it every five minutes. Um 
And yeah, you, and you can that links back to your an app on your phone, and you can use it for a variety of things. You can use it for training, you can use it for health, you can use it for fueling. So um, yeah, and I'm I'm on, I'm on the scientific advisory board um, for Super Sapiens, so it's been oh, really great helping hmm. them with um, with trying to get a good understanding of how to use it for um, for for performance. Well, I think they. From what I understand, so Phil uh, Sutherland, um, he's the founder, correct? Yeah, yes. founder um, and the yeah, CEO as yeah. well, yeah. What, what I love about it is that it's come from, you know, being diabetics and and they have – and now they're going into, you know, the performance side. And and when I did speak to him, we were talking about, you know, eventually it'll go just into the, the health and the general market, you know, so people can actually understand what their body is doing. And it's a very useful tool. I mean, I'm only in my end of my second week, start of my third week, and I'm just starting to sort of see how I can play around with it. Um, fascinating to see, still scratching my head as to why sometimes it goes up to over 200 at, say, 11 p.m. at night when I ate my last meal at 5 p.m. Um, so I'm still trying to come to terms with understanding why my blood glucose is acting the way it is. Have you been able to sort of get on top of yours and 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 keep it within a range? And that yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty good, really. Um, so you know, well, just at night though, like you know, if you sleep on it and you put a lot of pressure on it, so you if it's on your arm, it can just so you know, it can throw the numbers out sometimes a little bit. So just, oh. um, but generally, it doesn't spike high. It will it will kind of flatline yeah. and go quite low. Um, mm. That's something to be aware of. But yeah, I mean. There's loads of different things you can use it for. So, I mean, we, we could talk for hours just on this topic alone, I guess. But there's one is is the health outcomes. And, you know, you can look at your general exposure and your daily average. And, you know, you, for general health, if you're a normal person and you're not doing any high-intensity exercise and you're just in the general level two endurance days, the way I like to think about it, you know, you're looking to have that less than 90 with a variation of less than 15. Um, mm-hmm. But then... It kind of does change. So what I tell my athletes is, like, okay, if you're if you're in a day where you're just doing pure endurance based level two work, you know that's a kind of realistic aim. But if you're doing a higher intensity day, then you can probably look at increasing that number to like 100, 110, um, with a variation of around 20. Um, so you do that through fueling, so certain certain yeah, because because well, there's two sides, right? Is that Blood glucose is very related to exercise intensity. So the more, the higher you go in exercise intensity, the more you're going to be spilling, you're going to be breaking down glycogen, that glycogen is going to be spilling out into the blood glucose and therefore your blood glucose will be much higher. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're doing things in the day, like even a sauna would spike your blood glucose, high intensity interval training would definitely spike your blood glucose. So immediately you're then your average is going to be higher, right? And your variation is going to be higher. So you have to always, you know, context before content, you have to take, mm-hmm what your blood glucose levels are saying within the context of what you're doing. But if on that day you've done only low-intensity endurance work, we've not done any training and you're then finishing the day and you've had high variation in your blood glucose and your average is more than 110, then you're like, hang on a minute, that's you know, there's something not quite right with that. And you can start thinking about maybe you can lower, you know, lower your your sugars, lower change of timing when you're eating. So there's there's um things like that. Um, so that's kind of on the health side. But then um, what I think is really cool is that obviously there's there's the individualization of fueling. So And there has been a study that came out in an ultra runner who used the CGM during an ultra marathon to actually fuel appropriately. So they were actually 
timing their carbohydrate intake to keep their blood glucose at 170. So, so sometimes there'd be 50 grams an hour, sometimes there'd be 75 grams an hour, sometimes there'd be 40 grams an hour. And they and they had it was an N of one, but they had a good outcome. So that's quite a cool way to do things yeah. from a performance standpoint. Um, but then the from the training standpoint, there's two there's two things that I think are really interesting. And um, one is is substrate metabolism, looking at it from that mm-hmm. perspective. How can we actually use it to see if we're having implications in fat versus carbohydrate use and fatigue? And then also um, on the other side of that is looking at um, d- carbohydrate levels or glu- glucose levels for training adaptation. So like, as, as athletes, you know, we all fall into this trap. It's like, you know, training quality. We need to have high training quality. But what does that term actually mean? It means we're getting the most adaptation for that particular training stimulus. And and the research has shown is that, you know, to get the biggest adaptation doesn't necessarily mean you want the highest levels of carbohydrates. So there's different levels of blue glucose for different types of outcomes in terms of your training. So if you're looking at doing a, a long endurance ride, you might be looking to start that ride with a bit of a lower blood glucose, like 70 to 80. Whereas if you're really looking to do like a a, a session that's like a, you know, a weekday crit where there's a performance element to it, you might be looking to therefore start with a bit of a higher blood glucose, you know, 100, 110, because then you're looking at, um, you know, more performance aspects. I think that's something that's really exciting as as well. Does it tend to fall in line with the whole load up on carbohydrates, you know, for peak performance? And have you found it, when we talk about, remember we used to, we used to do the, the carbo loading, you know, for several days before an Ironman. Is that holding true or is that? Would well, you- I mean, so so it's an interesting one, right? Because if you, the carbo loading that you're doing before an Ironman isn't isn't in the blood glucose, right? That's going into the muscle. Um, mm. So the, what you're seeing in the blood is only what you've just eaten, really. So there's, but there, is there some sort of relationship between the, what you eat before and performance? Possibly. So we actually wrote uh, a systematic review that was published in the Journal of Nutrients that was basically, it's like, what should you eat before exercise? And the outcome was, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. Like if you want to achieve adaptation and you want to achieve, um, and you want to achieve more of a fat metabolism, then, you know, less than 70 grams is probably what you need. But if you're looking to really push performance, then, um, you know, maybe 130 to 150 grams of carbohydrates and a bit of protein might be what you need. So, so yeah, it, you know, to go back to it, it depends, right? Um, but I think um, I think there's the the what the blood glucose isn't related to um, it's not really related that much to carbo loading. It's because it's more it's much more acute than that. It's what's happen- what you, it's really what you've just eaten. So yeah, and and how much is is it to do with maybe genetics or I mean, you know, if I'm sitting here and my I just see it always being 105 all the time. And I very rarely see the numbers of 70, 80, 90 that you're talking about. Is, is there any genetics there or is that just, Greg, you, you, you might've ran too hard this morning or you shouldn't have had that dark chocolate? Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, I mean, I think it's probably more lifestyle factors that have led you to the, that have brought you this way from, you know, a life of probably a lot of high intensity, high stress training maybe. And, and, um, you know, you probably would have fueled on a very high carbohydrate diet. And, you know, does that, does that make you less tolerant to carbohydrates as you get older? I think everyone does become that way generally anyway. Mm. Um, mm. But I think, you know, also you, you, if, if, I, if I was to be advising you, 
you know, I think you could definitely do things to to try and bring that down and see and see how you feel with it and see if it and see if it affects you. Mm. Um, you know, you can. What we know is that like exercise intensity is critical. So the best way to dispose of glu- glucose is high le- what I call high end level two work. So just below your aerobic threshold, you'll generally see really good reductions in disposal of your blood glucose. So you know, if you said in the morning, I said, okay, Greg, get up. Um, have like just a coffee maybe you can have some protein don't have any carbohydrates do like an hour hour and a half ride but sit you know say your say your threshold of your vt1 your aerobic threshold is 260 watts and i'm like sit at 240 watts for two hours and for for an hour and a half that would really dispose of your blood glucose and then you'd probably be a lot more ready for the rest of the day and you'll you might see some good good changes in that if that's um, a health outcome that you're you're after that's that's great feedback. I might just start doing that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you, you, mean, give it, you could give it a try, right? I mean, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you you mentioned uh, using it for in in the the ultra manor, ultra marathoner using it in the race that he did. What about when uh, Jan van Berkel? He said he wore it for Ironman Tulsa. Was he using that and looking at the app? for understanding his fueling, or did you just use it for data post race? Yeah, yeah. We so so. I know that Super Sapiens now, like I have one of the beta test, beta versions of the app and you can actually sync it to Zwift and you can look at, you basically, you put the blood glucose in as cadence and you can look at it as you're riding along, which is kind of pretty cool. But yeah, for, for Jan, it was after the fact. So we, we, he didn't do anything during mm-hmm. to, um, to make any difference in that, in that regard, you know, so. Um, yeah, just, uh, but that's the future, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that is where it's going to go. I mean, it's going to be, you're going to be able to see your blood glucose on your bike computer. I would have thought, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I would have thought this is the future and that it will almost tell you when you should be having. Yep. Well, it's, it's not, it's happening. It's already, it's already been done. I know it's already available in the, like, you can, you can get it into the Phoenix. Um, oh, okay. Phoenix. So it's, um, okay. I don't know if that, oh, okay. it'll, it'll be, it will be pretty close behind. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's super, it's a super cool way. And also like, you know, like if, What's really cool with the substrate use that I talked about before is that, you know, if, if we go back to the example of you being at 240 watts with good training and increases in fat metabolism, you could expect to see um, that blood glucose to be quite stable. Whereas at the start, if you've got poor fat metabolism, you'll, generally it will come down. And then at the same time, it will, um, if you get better with your fat metabolism, it will actually become a little bit more stable. So, you know, it can be used for so many different things as well as, you know, performance and looking, monitoring from a, from a training perspective. It's fascinating. You know what it is? It, it blows my mind because it's for the longest time in our sport and especially the, the Ironman level, it was, you know, we got the three disciplines, swim, bike, run, but then there's a fourth discipline of, you know, fueling and nutrition. And it's amazing that potentially we're looking at that fourth discipline starts to become less of a headache for everybody, you know, less of a concern. We can actually start seeing people get the most, optimize their performance that they've trained for at an Ironman. I think that's extraordinary. You think that's the, the future that you think that people are going to start getting a better hand on what they're doing? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, even if even if you're not using it during a race, you know, it kind of gives you, you, you the old adage that you can't manage what you don't measure, right? So, um, mm. I think it's just going to help people have better understanding of what's really going on, you know, what's happening at different intensities, and that might inform their fueling strategies during the race in general, even even if they're not using it directly during mm. a race. 
So it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, I just want to move on with a couple more final things before, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. Well, but... I, I've worked out two hours. Great. Oh, well then good, mate. Then, then I've got a lot more things then. So great. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew we would be, uh, we could, we took a, we talked for a while. <laughs> I, I just want to move on then too, because we've touched on it a little bit and the types of training, um, more so for people that might be listening that don't have a, a peak goal or an Ironman or half Ironman, just the general health um, types of training. If you were working with people and say somebody says to you, you know, I've got an hour of training each day just for my health, what are you advising them for training to do? I mean, you, you said there's obviously a measure of intensity versus, you know, lower intensity, but are there certain training workouts that you recommend people on a on a health basis yeah well i guess how do we how do we tackle this one where where to begin (laughs) um well i guess i mean it's hard because everybody's got different background and yeah but i guess i guess you know the world the you know what does health mean for one like you know health is generally okay we want to live longer we want to live more more in a healthier way right and we want to not age we want to stay young and fit for our children well it's the two things we've talked about it it's hrv and, and blood glucose right? yeah yeah but then but then what's what's causing that what's causing aging and and you know if you look at the the literature and you know all the aging research there's lots of schools of thoughts of so you know why do people age why do we you know what's important for health and at the end of the day i think one of the most um <clears throat> the most prevalent answers is that you know as we age we get reductions in our um, nad and so for those of those that don't know uh, nad is is, is nicotinamide adamide dinucleotide which is it's basically it's an enzyme that's critical for and central for metabolism um and carrying electrons so and it, it's really you know it's probably the most important energy currency other than well, atp is probably the most important but that's probably the second most important and without it we would all be dead instantly we didn't have nad running through our vein or us our muscles and um and whatnot and the reason it's so important is because it um it goes down as we age so like for example compared to someone in their 20s by the time they're 40s their nad will be almost half of what it is in their 20s so anything that you can do to help upregulate and maintain NAD levels as you age um, is going to have massive health outcomes, um, benefits to health outcomes, mainly because it, it um, it's really important for things like um, there's something called PARP1, which is really important for DNA repair and, um, and function. So basically it's repairing everything that you're damaging, which is really important. And if you don't have NAD, the PARP1 can't repair your DNA. And if it can't repair your DNA, you'll age quite badly. Um, or quite well, not badly, but you'll age up a little bit quicker. And also other things that, that are in aging called um, sirtuins, and the sirtuins are basically they're like little cellular cellular enzymes that are really important for regulating homeostasis. And they basically they keep you pretty much your cells in balance, so they're really important too. And they are also upregulated by increases in NAD. And more importantly, the increase in NAD changes the ratio between NAD and NAD's reduced form, which is NADH. And the NADH and that reduced form regulates sirtuins, and that helps you maintain that homeostasis. So to beat around the bush, anything that we do to increase the NAD levels is um, going to have massive health outcomes and really be beneficial. So um, how can we, I guess the question is then, 
how do we do that, right? Exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and one, so one of the main things, so one of the, the two main things that you can look at for the NAD, NAD increase is um, exercise. Exercise is a huge one. And anything that um, where you're actually giving yourself some kind of, um, you're giving yourself an energy um, deficit where you're really challenging yourself in terms of energy. So exercise is one, but also this is where fasting is being shown to be really beneficial as well. So you don't just have to exercise. You can also look at doing things like fasting to get the, a similar sort of response. Um, but then also um, levels of inflammation as well. So reducing high, le- high levels of inflammation reduce NAD. So in terms of exercise, then you've got two things. You've got one is low intensity exercise, which is going to help lower blood glucose Therefore, lowering blood glucose helps lower the inflammation, which is really good. Um, but then on the other side, you're, you have to really challenge your, um, your energy, energy availability and um, that ratio between NAD and NADH. And to do that, it seems that high-intensity exercise also plays a really critical role in that regard. So anybody who is doing this for health, I think – you know, you want to have a mixture of the two, just like any athlete would, but you, you're wanting, you'll probably be like, if you're exercising five days a week or six days a week, you'd be like, you know, four days where you're doing low intensity exercise below VT1, reducing the inflammation and helping in that regard, lowering your blood glucose. But then on two times a week, you're actually really challenging yourself to um, get that energy balance a bit more, um, more higher. So you're actually depleting yourself a little bit more you're really pushing the limits and that's going to really boost the nad as well so um so that's if i was if if i'm going to just say someone from a from a from that perspective i think that's really important and then obviously the resistance training i think is a a key thing as well what a brilliant answer um long-winded answer (laughs) no long-winded but it really explained the why of exercise and, and and why both lower intensity and higher intensity are important. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to me to, to listen, especially as these days that's what I kind of do until I pick my next goal. But it is that kind of – it is the same as training as being a professional athlete. I keep telling people it's much harder to train for health, health than it is for a major goal. You know, well, well, training- I, think, I think the major thing is that, um, you know, like we're, when you're training for a major goal, it's like, yeah, you know, you're going to have levels of in- – inflammation and there's certain things that mm-hmm. you can't really con you know you have to kind of say well i'm, I'm doing this for the greater not for the greater good but with a long-term goal in perspective whereas you know if you're training too much and your inflammation gets higher then that's going to have adverse effects right then you know your nad levels can go down um so it's kind of that getting that correct balance is really important whereas you know when it comes to actual performance you you're expecting to have some level of physiological strain involved in the training processes. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a critical component. Whereas I don't think for health, you need to take yourself to that level of physiological strain no. where you're actually seeing deviations in your physiological homeostasis. So, you know, you're seeing decreases in your HRV because you're training. You are your testosterone is lower. All these things are kind of like part of training, but you don't need to go, go to that place if you're just doing it for health. You know, you no. can just do the, the just do the necessary parts to increase your NAD production, get those healthy outcomes, and um, 
Yeah. And also, I think um, one thing that we didn't really talk about is, you know, strength training, functional movements are really, really important. And that, that's definitely something that I'm doing more and more of as I've, as I've got older. I typically never did any of it when I was like training properly. Um, but yes, now yeah. I'm doing it like, a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah, we were talking pre-show, everybody, that um, Dan Dan wants to be the next Thor. <laughs> no, I, I was, it's funny because when I told my wife, she laughed at me. I don't know. I don't know. What. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I think it's a great goal to have. <laughs> we'll see. What about what about um, heat protocols or cold plungers for people for for general health? Because I keep you know, preaching uh, to people that I know, not so much on this show, but, you know, do I start the morning, you know, I do get up early, do my work, go do an hour of exercise, have a shower and always finish the shower the last minute or two cold. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are some of the advantages of doing something like that? Or are there? Do you- oh, yeah, well, th- this is this is an awesome, awesome topic and I'm pretty excited to talk about this. So, I mean, for the main reason that I'm sat in my garage now and I have a chest freezer just sat behind me because I'm going to make it into a, a cold plunge. Um, and we've just <laughs> have a sauna built um, in our house as well. So me and my wife are in the sauna pretty much every day. Um, so I'm pretty... Is that I'm, a dry sauna or infrared? It's a dry sauna. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I just find that, um, I mean, there's, there is some, some suggestion that the infrared, like the, the, the radiation from the infrared actually has mm. some specific health benefits, but I just find it's, I can't get it hot. In, I just find it's not hot enough. Um, yeah. and you have to be in there for longer as well as I can crank my sauna. I went, went in there the other day and I left it on a little bit too long and it was like more than a hundred degrees and my, um, my cuticles on my ears started burning. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Oops, <laughs> yeah." I was like, "Ooh," but yeah. Generally, generally, we I find the eighty to ninety is pretty comfortable. Um, yeah. So, what's that in Fahrenheit for my for the US listeners? Ooh, what what is, is that? Can I Google? Sorry, sorry, everybody. I'll, I'll um. Um. What is that? Is let me there... Google it while we're sitting here. Yeah, you do it. <laughs> eighty Celsius. It's like hyper, everybody. 80 Celsius is 176. That'd be about right. Yeah. yeah. I've always done about 180 Fahrenheit. Yeah. So, and then, and then like do 20 to 25 minutes is, is, yep. is, yep. Not well, you can't do much over 25. Isn't it funny? You get to that 20, 25 minute and you almost start to panic. Yeah. Yeah. I find that like, you know, the first 10 minutes is pretty, is, I think I like to think of it as free, but then yeah. you know, it gets, yeah. um, it gets really hard after that. Like 15 to 20 is pretty hard than 20 to 25 really hard it's much harder yeah but um so just like let's touch let's talk about the heat first so i mean i think it depends on your level of fitness so you know you know sauna has been shown to mimic cardiovascular exercise right and my wife will sit in there and she'll have a heart rate of 160 right so in that particular case she is she is probably doing something um that's mimicking cardiovascular exercise and she will be having you know we go back to nad is that increasing NAD? I don't know. Um, I don't think that's been proven. Um, but what it has been shown to do is, in general, it has been shown to reduce inflammation. So if it is reducing inflammation, um, high levels of inflammation reduce NAD. So perhaps there's something that's you know something that's going on there. So it's definitely going to be of benefit. But the other thing that's really important from a sauna perspective is that it, it upregulates heat shock proteins. Um, and heat shock proteins are basically they they hold the three dimensional shape of protein. So as we age, um, they um, 
our proteins degrade, they lose their three-dimensional shape. And once they lose their three-dimensional shape, they can become quite um, problematic because they can become more deformed and then cause the aging process, require DNA repair and all that. So um, that's where the sauna can be really good because of that upregulation of, de- of heat shock proteins can help us maintain health overall, as well as getting some kind of cardiovascular um, blood plasma volume expansion, um, mimicking cardiovascular exercise anyway. I think there, there was a study that was done that showed that um, saunering six times a week for 20 minutes reduced the risk of cardiovascular disease by 45%. So, yeah, so, I mean, there's a that's not, not a stat. I think, like, just twice a week was, like, 10% and then three times a week was, like, 25% and six times a week was 50 And are you doing it post-exercise or are you doing it a specific time of day? Yeah, it, it really varies. I mean, I, I'd sometimes do it post-exercise um, if it works. Sometimes I'll do it in the morning. Um, sometimes I do it at night. I, I think it's just... Yeah, I just I just kind of do it at random, and then um, it's just where it fits in with my day, really. Um, but it's something that I found has been really good for you know because Kate she doesn't really she's not a massive fan of like exercising as much, but it's something that you know we can do together, and you know that's quite awesome. you know, that social that's bonds, awesome. quite you know that bonding period where we can sit inside and we we talk for the first ten minutes. And then once he gets over 15, we're both like going, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's, how long has it been? <laughs> Isn't it funny how slow that clock moves? Do you have the sand <laughs> one where you put the sand and it's like, count down? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. So we, um, then we sit in there. We're just counting down the minutes to get out again. And then we'll, we'll finish with, um, with a cold shower or something. Um, but so you do finish with cold. I was going to ask that. I mean, there's different protocols I keep hearing. Um, you yeah, know, it depends what you're trying to achieve, right? Like if you're, if I had an athlete in there and they were using it from a pure heat acclimation perspective, you know, I would definitely say do not get in the cold shower after because you want to maintain a high cold temperature because that's helping some of the adaptation in the acclimation mm-hmm. process. So the moment you get the moment you get in the cold, the moment you shut down your skin temperature and therefore and the core temperature you're kind of shutting down the the adaptation and the response. So if I was training someone, I wouldn't allow them to um, you know, I'd say no, don't don't do that. But for for normal people it's I think it's quite a nice thing to do. It resets you. I mean the evidence of it being really beneficial from a health perspective, it, I don't think it's it's a bit scattered and I think there's nothing really suggested that it really does help, even though it's really does have um, a lot of um, press about how beneficial it is. But I'm not convinced. Um, I don't think the evidence suggests it is. But regardless, for me, I absolutely love it, and I feel so good. And my one of my me- one of my buddies has got a chest freeze around at his in his sauna, and you know I've jumped in that a few times after, and he has it at like one degree. And um, you know, <laughs> I but jump in there after, and I just feel so good. So regardless of whether there is great health outcomes or not. Um, you know, in terms of the, I think in terms of the immune response and, you know, white blood cells and that, I think that's a little bit, um, some evidence for some, some will suggest not, um, yeah, I, I think it makes you feel really good anyway, but there is also like, that idea. That I think the, whatever's going on in your brain with cold is phenomenal. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever you do, whatever's going on in the brain is absolutely makes you just feel so alive. Yeah. You know? And also, you know, one thing that I a hundred percent notice is um, massive reductions in blood glucose, and I've I've seen that all the time. So mm. if I go, if I if I um if I jump in a cold, um, 
my blood glucose really goes down and it seems to make me more tolerant to the next meal. So I don't have as big an increase in blood glucose after. So that in itself um, is a positive health outcome because immediately I've lowered my blood glucose and I've reduced the variability. So that's um, something positive. Um, whether that, I don't think that's been, this is just an end of one. I don't think I've ever seen a study that's shown that directly, but I think most people, um, one of my, my buddy who's also using the super sapiens who has the cold plunge, exact same thing happens with him. And also the cold has been shown to, you know, change your white fat to brown fat. And that the brown fats basically it, it um, helps with metabolism. So it upregulates your metabolism because it's there to keep you a little bit warmer. Um, so, the, you know, there could be some some specific weight reduction possibilities that make you lose a bit of body fat from being in the cold as well. I mean, my, my buddy who who um, who uses, who has this cold bath at um, his house, we both went, we, he went in it and then I went in and he got, gets out and he's not even shivering because he's just so used to it. You know, I think it's that transition from white fat to brown fat. Whereas me, I was an absolute shivering wreck. You know, I had to get back in the sauna and try and warm up again. But I did, the first time I did go in just that little bit too long, I think. But Yeah, yeah but one degree is really cold as well. Yeah, yeah. It's mad. It's mad. So. That's mad. Yeah. Well, mate, I want to finish with some questions, some fast rapid fire questions. You, you up for it? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Well, this one's not so much a rapid fire, but you can do it. If you could sit with and have a coffee with any living person, who would it be and why? Any living person? Mm-hmm. Oh, you want so- you can have somebody that's not alive, I guess. Well, and someone who's not alive would be my you know, my grand my my passed away granddad and um, grand grandma, I guess. Um, I think that's uh, you know that's um, just because that you know you, I'd love to I'd love them to see where I've got to now, especially my, my on my mum's side. My my granddad was an absolute avid sailor, and I'd love to. Yeah. Um, Oh, to share that story of America's Cup. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, so yeah. that would be on the on. But on the alive side, I think I would, I would just love the opportunity to, <clears throat> I think well, someone who just really interests me is like, you know, Tim Tim Ferriss. Is, is always, I've always been a massive fan of his. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's someone who springs to mind. I don't think it'd be long before he has you on his show, mate. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, mean, I think you've, I think you've, know you've, you know you've made it in life if that ever happens. <laughs> oh come on! I don't think so. I, I think I, we all know somebody that knows him. That's how the world is. And maybe one you, day, one day, yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to meet him and have a sit down with him. And um, I like that. Though. That's a good one. Hmm. I mean, I've got all these books up up there, tools yeah. of tight four-hour work weeks and all of that. I mean, and and the self-experimentation, I think is, I mean, you're very much that person. Yeah, and, and I have to say that his book, The 4-Hour Work Week, is the book that, I mean, if, that, if there's one book that's changed my life more than anything, it's it's that Life book. by design, life by design, right? Yeah. I mean. And I, you know, and it encouraged me to start my own company. And now I'm, I'm, I am fortunate enough, I am in that position that I, you know, I work as and when I want to. I have, I'm not on the clock anymore. And that was, and he inspired me to do that. So, um, yeah, I would love to Brilliant. have the opportunity. Maybe maybe if, you, if anyone's listening and knows him, just um, make the introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that, I mean, you know, you went out on your own. What advice can you give to sort of new coaches or startup entrepreneurs um, on getting going? Because it is a risk for a lot of people to leave the jobs that they're in or to go out on their own. Yeah, I think there's two things. Is One is... Um, you know, always, always look at, always 
look at the downside and just say, you know, what is the worst that can possibly happen if I do this? And I think a lot of the time it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, actually write it down and say what's the worst that can happen in this, this situation um, and then just and go for it. And and when you do, the you just got to be so patient and and not expect not expect the big wins really quick and and don't overestimate what you can achieve in the short term because uh, you know my, I always think that people always overestimate what they can achieve in the short term but they always underestimate what they can achieve in the long term and I think having mm-hmm. both those perspectives is really important when you're sitting out on any goal is that you know people even if I'm man business like. You know, I want to do this in next year, but don't really think that way. Just think oh, that one would be nice. But what can I achieve in five years? What can I achieve in ten years? Is it's a much more realistic um, and generally more manageable goal for most people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good answer. I like it. All right, let's move on to some some really fast ones now. Um, here we go. It's a hard one. What were you doing right before this conversation? Having a coffee. <laughs> here we go. Good answer. Well, I had I had a sauna just before that. Did you really? There you yeah, go. I just wanted this morning in a cold shower. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, in New Zealand winter coming on here, but I imagine a sauna feels pretty good right yeah, now. Yeah, I find um, you know that's a good thing. It's a great way to start your day. It's a great way to split up your day, and it's a great way to finish your day. So it can be can be done it anyway. Yeah, that's great. All right, last book you read? Last book I read, um, Clockwork. It's a book um, by Mike Mashevich, which is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about making your company run like clockwork and all the things you can do in place so you don't have to be um, as involved. Really great book, actually. Highly recommend it. Brilliant. I'll put that in show notes, everybody, and I'll go check it out myself. I keep buying all these books that you guys keep recommending me, and they're on the shelves. I actually got that on the audio book. Um, we did. Yeah, yeah that's a good way a, to do it's it. A really, it's, a really, it's a really good one, and it's really narrated really well as well. So, mm. yeah. And it, oh, I found it... You know, I always think, okay, did it actually change the way I behave? And it definitely changed the way I behave. He talks about like um, the, the the 4D method, how you you know your business should be in doing, designing, delegating, and um, and what was it? I can't, I can't remember the fourth one. Put me on the spot. But you know, all these things have um, really changed the way I think about business. And also your queen bee role, which is basically what is the main thing that you do in your business and just to think about that. And ours is we create content to help athletes and coaches. You know, we create informative content that's that's scientifically correct. So we um, so now I'm like, okay, what should I be doing creating content? What should I be doing creating content? You know, whether it's training programs, training sessions, blogs, courses, science snippets, whatever that will be, I always make sure that I'm trying to make anything that I can do around me, whether I actually end up hiring a PA because of it. You know, to free myself up to create content is um, what the, what it really taught me in this in this book. So, pretty good. That's awesome, and you're so willing to share. I think that's, I think the whole part of that is creating the content, and you give, 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 give. You know, and and I think that, I think that's the backbone of a really great business. And uh, you know, because everyone's like, oh, you you well, where do you make your money? And it's like, well, you give, 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 and it's amazing how the money comes you know yeah it's, yeah uh, we, we obviously we, we charge for some things but i think no 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 you got to charge but the but yeah. the way people like you on this podcast coming on this podcast and just giving and giving of your knowledge um people can learn so much that but what it does is like well hang on i really like this guy i want to know a bit more now i'm going to go pay for it yeah you know? yeah and, yeah so it's no it's, it's um it's awesome I, I i love i love um i know and i'm thankful for me being on on this show too 
It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, mate. All right, here's a really hard one. So I want you to think about it. What's the largest animal you could wrestle to the floor? <laughs> My cat. <laughs> oh, you see, there's no way you could get a cat to the floor if it if it was really wanting to fight you. Oh, that, that's true. Yeah, if it was really wanting to. <laughs> All right. Um, here's one. Uh, outside of coaching and being a sport f- sports physiologist, what else would you want to do for a day if you could do anything? Oh, it, yeah, this is even a hard one. I just would want to be a comic book drawer. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Well, well, actually, like when I was when I, that was my first passion. Um, I'll send I'll send you a picture of some of my art. You'll be pretty. So I, I when I was growing up, all I, I was obsessed with superheroes, which is why I probably talked about Thor already in this conversation. Um, I still am pretty obsessed with superheroes. I'm a bit of a Marvel Marvel buff, but uh, all I wanted to do was um, draw comics, really. And I, I spent a lot of time just drawing and painting. And I was actually pretty good at art, but that's all I wanted to do. And I still, you know, would have, if I had my time again, I would um, try and right make that feel. But I don't think... You know, it's a different. I've gone down a slightly different path, but yeah, that would not hands down. That's definitely what I would um, I would want to do for sure. That's a, I like that. Okay, which decade of music is the best? Eighties. Good, good answer. Yeah, I'm not even born in the eighties, but I just love the eighties. Phil Collins, Elton John. I, I love the. Um, oh man, it doesn't stop. Are you kidding me? We Talking Heads. Yeah, I've been I mean, my kids now, three year old. You know. I'll be in the car. And go. What do you want? Eighties music, yeah. but actually they're leaning. She's starting to lean a bit more towards the seventies. She really likes Cat Stevens. The nineties is pretty good too, especially being English. Like you know the Brit pop. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, scene. I, I'm, I, yes. Now I think like, the nineties is also really good. Eighties, nineties is awesome. I mean, I think with the eighties, my mum and dad used to play a lot. You know, it's kind of the music you remember as well, right? I just remember yeah, playing a lot of. I still just love Phil Collins. So, That's awesome. Yeah, it's just awesome. <laughs> That's so great. All right, here's another animal question. If you could describe yourself as an animal, which one would it be? This is, these are really hard questions. They're not that hard. Come on, you've thought about it. <laughs> the first thing is I just thought Napoleon Dynamite and I thought about a liger, half, half mythical man of man, a mythical beast, half, half lion, half tiger. <laughs> Well, there you go. That'll do. And there's, there's the comic book coming out in you. So that that's okay. I mean, I love the guests that I, I throw that one in and they actually have it already loaded. Like I, I said that to Sarah True and she absolutely without hesitation just went moose. Moose. I was like, what? I like, I, I, like, I, think, I think a liger is the best one. There's like half lion, half tiger. Liger. Yeah. Liger. What, what you've seen, you must have seen Napoleon Dynamite. No, but there is such a thing as a liger. Didn't they mix a, a, a well, liger? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. If they, if, they, if they haven't, you just made yourself sound very silly. <laughs> oh, I, everybody go type liger in on Google and I think you'll see that there's a, a crossbreed. Oh, wow. there you go. There you go. How good is that? Well, I don't know. Anyway, um, final question. Proudest moment of your life. Oh, proudest moment of my life. I mean, I, th- I think my my biggest accomplishment is my kids, really. I mean, but whether that's a moment or not, but um, well done. Yeah, I was, I was sweating on that one. Any any dad that I ask that and they they skirt over and go, oh, did they? I'd be like, no, no, no. I think kids. Yeah, I mean, it's not a moment. I mean, obviously, it's a moment when they're born. But like, I look at them every day and I'm thinking, wow. That's yeah. such an achievement. What you know? <laughs> you know? I kept them alive. I kept them alive. Yeah, how did I do this? 
how did I create these beings? <laughs> I think the answer's a great woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, for sure. And there's, there's lots to be said by that. I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, we can just to digress, you know, talk about a great woman, but it's so true is that behind every like successful man or even triathlete, there's always an amazing um, woman, right? And even vice versa, I can see that, you know, although really know Chelsea's, yeah. Chelsea's husband, Steve, but he seems like in a an amazing guy it's such a it is such a team effort in to do well in anything right um absolutely so you need your partner in crime right there with you yeah just to i mean especially this yes being athletes then being parents yeah it's hard work yeah to all the single mums and single dads out there you you're incredible i um yeah what's next for you mate what do you what's uh on the on the horizon oh well we've um so actually um, one of the things i'm working quite a lot on at the moment is and um, we're just about to launch a new course um so the actual the whole course is ldt 104 which is all around athlete monitoring so that's going to be out hopefully end of july um but we've actually just launched now which will be we, get, we can make available um it's available as a, a course specifically on heart rate variability um, so it's actually a, it's a pullout of LDT 104, but we're going to make that available early. Um, it's a two module two module course all around heart availability. So you know if if someone wants to do LDT 104 and they've done the HRV course, we'll basically deduct the cost of the HRV course from the LD, LDT 104 course. And um, yeah, we, I'm happy to um, set up a bit of a, a landing page for you, Greg, for your listeners, and um, we'll throw in. Uh, a separate module, maybe on we'll set a separate module on training intensity distribution as well, free of um, free of charge as well. Brilliant, let's do it. I will. I'll put that all in the in the show notes so people can grab that there and um, sign up for your course. Absolutely outstanding what you've put together um, for people to be able to educate themselves. You know, it's one thing to have a coach, um, which I think is a great thing, but it's also nice to actually have the information and knowledge. In your own back pocket, so I think it's fantastic what you're putting together there, mate. Yeah, um, the you know my you know the old adage is that you know we we train animals but we teach athletes. I think that's <laughs> um, that's what we kind of go for with Enjoy IQ. I think you know we empower you know empowering athletes to be more informed with the decisions and you know the why as well as the as well as the what is really really important. Um, mm. uh, but if anyone's you know we we also have. Um, I have a weekly brew up. I don't. Did you sign up? Are you a member of the brew up? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. We're a member of that. Yeah, so it's, no, it's like bi-weekly now, and um, basically yeah, yeah. you can sign up to that newsletter via that via our website enjoyiq.com, which is basically we give like four, um, five top tips for the week, which will generally be a workout, a great podcast, which is nine times out of ten one of your your podcasts, Greg. Um, uh, thanks, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, and we got some tech, um, a science, some research that's been in there, and maybe a good book that I've read, which is the the um, the brew up. And then also we've got our own Facebook group, which is um, Endure IQ Training and Longevity Insights Group. So you, it's a closed group where we'll post um, latest findings, research, workouts, um, cool things that we've seen. Um, it's a free group to everyone, so you can also have a join up there as well if you search that on in facebook that's brilliant content 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 love it <laughs> that's all fantastic mate and, and your own instagram for people that want to follow you what is it yeah uh, it's um the, it's the plus and um yeah that's the I'm, i guess i'm most active on on instagram um i have obviously a bit a 
a little bit on Twitter, but Instagram is my kind of yeah. my main no my main area. Well, I'll, I'll put all of that in the show notes, mate. But Dan, thanks so much for your time again. Just sharing all of that. I feel like I come away from this just going, feeling so much more enlightened and so much more wanting to take control of my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, going, okay, I've got to really get on this heart rate variability and, and monitor my glucose a little bit more closely. And, you know, I've got to get a sauna in my my basement here now and all of this kind of stuff. So I really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, it's well, great. no, just, um, and also just keep me up to date with your numbers because I'm always happy to give you a bit of a pointer in the right direction. And um, I, I love like, you know, especially when people have data is like, the good thing about it is seeing change. And, you know, I'd love to to do a bit of, we can just maybe go offline. We can work a little bit on some things that we can do to stabilize our blood glucose and see if, how you feel <laughs> and what, what, what makes a difference if we can actually make some, you know, like interventions and have some real change. I think it'd be cool. I appreciate it. That'd be fantastic. Well, Thanks for coming on, mate. I appreciate it. All right. And um, stay on the line. But everybody else, um, you can see all the show notes and timestamps and links and coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right. Stay on the line, Dan. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.